So I I just took the equipment that was given to me and I got good consent from the, the patients. I was so happy to have my opportunity and I got stuck in. Did the pap smear and the, the doctor was like, no, you really got to, you know, be forceful. Yeah, you get a good, good specimen there. Cool. Thank the patients. Um, I started filling in the form and the doctor said, oh, great. You did really well. Where's your logbook? I was like, logbook. She's like, yeah, all fifth years have a logbook. I was like, hmm. So I'm a third year. <laughs> Medically Inclined Podcast. My name is Daniel Ostazen and this is where we talk about improving your life as a medical student slash professional. We also touch base on multiple specializations within the health profession to gain some clarity and insight into those fields. We continue our interview with Dr. Simon Fraser, a first-year intern at the Charlotte Metneke Hospital. He is also the creator and host of the Dr. Coffee Podcast that discusses and gives insight into the medical field. You can find his podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts at Dr. Coffee. You can also follow him on Instagram and YouTube under the handle Dr. Coffee ZA. In part two, we discuss research and the importance thereof. We also dive in a little bit deeper in the transition from theory to practical and the importance of not being afraid to try something new and constantly being open to learning, especially as an intern. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I do. Now I can tell you about uh, how the process works, and this is this is where the Doctor Coffee podcast works because different um, fields or subspecs in medicine will have different criteria. Okay. You know, so for example, if you wanted to do something like pediatric surgery, mm-hmm. pediatric surgery will require you to have your surgery primaries yes. in order to get into a pediatric surgery reg post, but you also need to have had the correct um, MO time. Okay. Okay. So you need to have had time in ICU, time in trauma, time in general surgery. So when I interviewed um, Dr. Jason McMaster, who's a pediatric surgery registrar, he recommended that you you work at an academic hospital like Charlotte McLeake, mm. where you are going to get exposure to all of these things in a very short amount of time, and you're going to basically be up the nostrils of the supervisors who can see that this is what you wanted. Mm. If, on the other hand, you wanted to do something like neurosurgery, mm. you would have to complete five years of general surgery time and then go on further and do a fellowship in neurosurgery. Okay. So some surgical uh, subspecs are standalone um, specialties on their own. Urology is like that, for example. On the other hand, urology, even though it's a three- or four-year reg time um, course, is extremely hard to get into. So there are people who spend four years as medical officers within urology. So they're working as a junior doctor in the urology department. And they might even be doing some of the um, surgeries and some of the tasks that the registrars are doing. But they're still medical officers. So they're not actually getting one, they're not actually getting one year closer each year to completing. Mm. Do Do you understand? I do. One of the things I've learned through the Dr. Coffee podcast is not to overlook the value of research. Mm. Um, research and publications is academic currency. And it doesn't really matter mm. if you are published in Nature with a double-blind, uh, <laughs> randomized controlled study. 
or you do a case report that's published in a local WITS journal. Mm -hmm. The important thing is that you show an interest, mm -hmm. that you show that you know how to do research and the value of research, and that you've generated some new knowledge. Okay. The HPCSA nowadays is putting a big emphasis on MMEDs, right. and the, the quality of MMEDs is still a bit variable. Mm -hmm. And I can say that not because I have an MMED, I mean, I haven't done a master's in anything, but because other people have told me that some of the MMEDs are a little bit weaker simply because you're working so hard during your reg time. Uh, and it depends on the different circuits. The WIT circuit mm. has Charlotte McNeke, Barra, which is the world's third largest hospital, Helen Joseph, mm. you know, Edenvale, Alex, a couple it's of a really big, yeah, yeah there's, uh, you, you're um, managing a very large population yes. with, diverse and very serious needs many patients present very late yeah. um, and this is not to knock other circuits yes but if you were a surgeon on the vit circuit you'd probably spend more time doing yes. rather than than yeah. reading yeah. so so at the end you know are you going to come out a better surgeon well that depends mm. you know do you mean how you do on the theory exam or how you cut you know um, yeah, so there's different shows for different folks. I think okay. there's room for many people. There's room for many roads. Mm -hmm. um, one of the beautiful things about medicine is that while it is a science, it is also an art, mm -hmm. uh, and you can't divorce yourself from the human side of medicine. Yeah, so it's a constant learning. Like you said, yes. you, like you, you, you get ready. Oh, I mean, like the, the, the degree itself is basically just allowing you to continue to learn and yeah. to continue to start doing practical and, stuff. And here I go again, acting like I'm an expert. <laughs> you know, I'm a first year intern. Mm. I am definitely far better than I was on the 1st of January. Okay. Um, I am a better person. I'm a better doctor. I've learned a huge amount. I've, I've probably learned in the nine months. I've learned more than I did in the two years before that combined. Okay. But... That then means that the people who are in ComServe now yes. have had that extra one and a half years more than me. You know, yeah. the people who are junior registrars have mm. had all that extra time. So, no wonder the the, the consultants and the supervisors sometimes like smile. Mm. <laughs> they're so innocent let oh. them it's fine they'll learn let them make the mistakes. We, it's the same way that we as interns look at medical students and be like. You'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you'll see what it's like to really do a call. <laughs> oh, I guess it's just because you've been exposed to it and things. Uh, what I always find interesting because it's just theory now for us. We're, we're just reading things. We're just mm -hmm. learning the protocols, the steps. You know, we're not actually hands on. How was that transition? I'm, assu like, I'm assuming you've already done theater. You've already done surgeries, yeah. all of that. How did how did that happen? How was that transition from theory? Oh, this is cool. It looks yeah. nice in the book to actually physically cutting something. So I've got some I've got some fun stories around this. The one that I like to tell is when we were in third year. So bear in mind, third year for me was literally my first year of medicine. Mm. Um, we started something called nursing visits, where we would go to the hospital, and I was fortunate enough that I went to Barrow. Mm. Um, and you would follow the nurses. And okay. at that stage, I think the most sophisticated skill we had was taking blood pressure. Nice. And, <laughs> and so we would follow the sisters and we would take vital signs, right? So there I am. I've been a medical student for 10 weeks. <laughs> I don't think I even had scrubs yet because I was still wearing my white coat and dressing smart casual. But I had my name badge. Nice. I had my name badge. Um, and we had finished in our ward by about 11 o'clock because we were in an admission ward, which was a Ghanaian admission ward. Mm. 
So I said to the sisters, you know, is there anything we can do? And she said, yep, just go across the way to the Ghani uh, clinic there and you can help out. So they arrived and I said to one of the young doctors, I was like, hey, um, is there anything I can do? She's like, oh, great, yeah, come grab this patient. You're going to go do a pap smear. Okay. <laughs> now, I mean, I'm a man, mm -hmm. but at that point I'd been married about seven or eight years. I knew what a pap smear was. <laughs> so I, I just took the equipment that was given to me and I good consent from the, the patients. Uh, I was so happy to have my opportunity and I got stuck in, did the pap smear and the, the doctor was like, no, you really got to you know, you know, be forceful. You know, get, a, get a good specimen there. Cool. <laughs> Thank the patients. Um, I started filling in the form and the doctor said, oh, great, you did really well. Where's your logbook? I was like, yeah. logbook. She's <laughs> like, yeah, all fifth years have a logbook. I was like, hmm. So I'm a third year. <laughs> Um, so, so she had mistaken me for a fifth year. Um, the, the, your I mean, it was just dressed smart. Um, the important thing was when she said, you know, you're going to do a pap smear, I didn't go like, maybe. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's just my personality. Yeah. Maybe it's a little bit of life experience. Maybe it's because I really want to do medicine. Um, but when somebody said, you know, do you want to put in the CVP? I would be like, yeah, I would. Oh, if I cool. if I don't know how to do something, I'll I'll be honest, mm. because you don't want to mess up something like a CVP. Yeah. Um, but it's there's no harm in saying, I would love to try, but do you mind if I ask for your help? You know, That's do you cool. mind if you just supervise me? Yeah. Um, and if you've seen it done once or twice, you know Should enough be. to give it a go. Yeah. Um, one of the professors that I interviewed is going to appear on the podcast soon. Um, cool. He, he said his best supervisor would be standing with him in theater and he'd reach a point where he's now like, okay, what do I do next? And the supervisor would just quietly say to him, there's nothing you can cut that I can't fix. So that's, you know, nice. like yeah, how reassuring that like, reassures you. again, it comes back to, it's okay to make a mistake. Mm. No one in the history of humankind, as far as I know, has ever gotten 100% for everything in medicine. Mm. If they did, they would have to change the curriculum because, you know, yeah, it, you it now means that they're, not, they're yeah. not doing it correctly. Um, they must be doing something right. If you went from blood pressure to pap smear in like 10 weeks, <laughs> so they must be doing pretty good. But remember, uh, pretty it's because good. I had the benefits of being married. You know? <laughs> I, had, I had been present for the delivery of three babies. At I'm that just place. saying, if someone told me to go and do a pap smear, I'd be like, oh, cool, I'm going to watch a pap smear. And they gave me things to do. I'd panic. Yeah, oh, I, think, I, mean, I think it might be a similar, a similar um, you know, for the ladies listening, a similar situation would be if, for example, there was a testicular torsion. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, yeah come, you're just going to detort the Detort testicle. Lovely. And that's the challenge for medical students, especially you always have to remember people come from a context. Mm. So let's say you come from a very conservative background. Okay. Think about um, somebody who has never... Um, I, I've got to choose my words very carefully here. Uh, somebody who's never been intimate with another person physically and sexually, mm. you now are training that person to professionally stick their fingers into different orifices Must be, yeah, and keep a straight face. You know, so, <laughs> some, of, some of the men have never seen a woman naked from the, from the waist down. Mm. And now they have to very respectfully and professionally ask for permission to, to do a vaginal exam on this Must lady. Be intense. 
Um, but that's one of the unique positions we have mm. as medical students and as doctors. If we were touching people like that in the shopping center, we'd get arrested. I'm pretty sure you can't just do a random <laughs> pap smear anyway. <laughs> Can you imagine the people in the queue? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. Mm. Um, the trust that is given to even a medical student, you know, as a third year medical student, I was able to say to a lady, hi, ma'am, my name is so-and-so. Am I able to do this pap smear exam? It's going to involve me inserting a speculum, getting a good view of the cervix, then taking a small sample with this brush. It might be yeah. uncomfortable. It shouldn't hurt too much. I'll be as quick and as gentle as I can. Oh, thank you so much, ma'am. Do you have any questions? What I mean is that, uh, you know, you were saying, how, how do you make that transition? What is, one of the keys to making that transition well, I think you just got to do it scared sometimes. Okay. You have to be ballsy. Mm. Um, look, don't be like a cowboy. Yes. You know, you're not going to, as soon as a patient starts gasping, like, right, get me a knife. I'm going to do an emergency <laughs> cricothyroidectomy. No, uh, cricothyroidotomy. I've got to get the word right. Um, you, you, you're not going in like a cowboy. You've got to know where your limits mm. are. But again, if it, let's say it's putting in your first drip, mm. Honestly, what is the harm that can happen from putting a drip in? Probably the not. worst that can happen is you tissue it. Okay. You know, or maybe you poke a very sensitive structure like a nerve or a tendon. Okay, so it would just hurt a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh. The first blood draws that I did on my friend's shame, my friends were very long-suffering. They were so excited <laughs> for me to get into medicine. Mm. And then they would come over to my house and I'd have a couple of spare five mil syringes and 22-gauge needles and some alcohol swabs. And I'd be like, right, I've cooked for you. I've hosted you in my home. Now I need to take some of your blood, you know. <laughs> And the first blood draws I did were absolutely horrendous. Um, I remember my friend Kevin uh, showing me a tennis ball-sized hematoma on his forearm oh. because I had not only gone into the vein and I tried to get blood draw, I got right through, oh, the, through vein. the vein. Oh. <laughs> so he had a lovely big oh, bruise on his nice. arm. <laughs> but, I mean, again, mm. you know, that's how you learn. You make mistakes. Uh, you stuff it up a few times. <laughs> I think what what you're getting at is the point that you you shouldn't be scared to try be because to that's try. the whole point of the practical side. That's actually the whole point of internship, eh? Is to try these things and get the skills so that yeah. when you go out and even if you're just a medical officer or a GP or whatever, you're competent to a, a certain yeah. extent. I mean, you say just a medical officer okay, yeah. in this country. Medical officers doing ComServe mm. are doing things that specialists would do overseas. Okay. You know, um, as an intern mm. in our hospitals, we're doing lumbar punctures, you know, as an intern. Okay. If you're in a private hospital, the neurologist or the anesthetist comes and does the lumbar puncture. Oh, wow. Or if it's a, a pediatric patient, maybe the mm. pediatrician does the lumbar puncture. The point is they don't ask the junior oaks, yeah, you just go somewhere, a needle in and get us a specimen. Mm. Um, which is not to say that in public hospitals, because you also have to be careful what image yes, you, you portray. I, portray it. I think that um, the media, as well as junior doctors, have got a huge responsibility mm. to adequately and appropriately describe and portray what goes on in public hospitals. The care that you get in public hospitals, in many regards, is equal, if not better, than private hospitals. And I'll tell you why. You've got new doctors who are training, who are much more cautious, who are going by guidelines and citing evidence. In private, which is not to say that private's bad. So again, I'm not knocking yes. private. But if you're a private doctor, 
and you are practicing in private practice, sometimes that's not supervised practice. And you might be doing something that's a little bit outdated because that's how you were trained yes. 10 years ago, you know. As an intern doctor and in an academic setting, sometimes we over-investigate, we okay. over-treat because we want to be cautious we want, mm. and it's a learning opportunity and we mm. want to see if this works and, and if that doesn't. So although um, public hospitals are in dire need of, of help, mm. it's mostly because of systemic things within society. Okay. It's not because the, the hospitals themselves suck. Yes. You know, the medical students are doing the best they can. The junior doctors are doing the best they can. But society has this massive burden of people who need help. The public sector, just I'm not sure if you know this figure, but we were given this figure when we were at medical school. Public sector hospitals, so state hospitals, cater to more than 80% of the population. But they do so with less than 20% of the resources. Oh, and then the rest go to private, yes. Right, okay. you know. Oh. Um, so, and, and of course, in private, that's private individuals' mm. money and things like that. But think what we could do yes. in state hospitals with the amounts of money that's in private, yeah. right? So when you go into a public hospital and you see a dripping pipe, recognize that maybe the reason that pipe is dripping is because they had to prioritize things like cannulas to drip patients or medicines to give to patients. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know what? We'll have to tolerate a dripping pipe so that we can make sure that our patients get possible, the best possible mm -hmm. care. When you look at it that way, it is eye opener than nice right. One. You know, oh. when when you're in a private practice and you're seeing eight patients in a day, you go, oh, what a busy day. <laughs> you know, come yeah. and do a clinic in a public mm. hospital where each doctor is now seeing twenty patients, and then finishing those twenty patients and going to see another twenty patients in the ward. Mm. Okay. Then, then you can say, yeah, you oh, can oh, complain. Sure, I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Fair anyway. enough, yeah. I'm not trying to... No, 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 <laughs> I have to, like, <laughs> disclaimer on the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, private is bad. Um, obviously, now, with internship, you've now spent nine months, you said, in internship. Yeah. I don't know how many internship periods or little blocks that you've done. I actually sure. don't know what they... I'm assuming it's still rotations. I'm yes. assuming it's still yeah. rotations that you do. What have you done so far? What have you actually learned? And what can you, you know, give advice-wise to students just from purely learning from internship, mm -hmm. what they can sort of carry over to sure. them right now? So uh, fortunately, um, for the benefits of those listening, I did put some of this together into an episode on the Dr. Coffee podcast, episode 10, Internship Adventure Confirmed. Now what? That's cool. So I, I don't want to talk to too that. much about yes. that. But the way that the program works the HPCSA, uh, which is the Health Professions Council mm. of South Africa, they recognize the need for a good structured training program. Mm. And it's structured in the sense that there are certain minimum procedures. Mm. There are certain things that they want you to be exposed to and, and questions you have to fill out in your, in your logbook. But it will be variable from site to site. Okay. So depending on where you are, you may do more or less seizures. Mm. But you must do at least 10 as the lead surgeon, okay. Okay. which is great. The first time you catch a, a cesarean section and you fill in those theater notes as the lead surgeon, gosh, that's like getting your name up in lights mm. as, a, as a doctor. That's cool. Um, you know, everyone posts that on their Instagram. Like, oh, <laughs> I've the seen surgeon, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cheeky flex. Oh, that's cool. So the way it works in first year level, 
uh, is you rotate through four rotations. You go through pediatrics, you go through internal medicine, obstetrics and gynecology, and surgery, mm-hmm. general surgery. And um, I will talk about those rotations. Then in your second year, you do two-month rotations through orthopedics, anesthetics, psychiatry, and then a six-month rotation through family medicine, Wow. two months of which is in emergency medicine in the ED department. Okay. Now, I want to put like a little asterisk next okay. to that because that is the way it is now. Mm, okay. But if you went three years back, it would have been structured slightly differently okay. where you would have like four-month blocks or one-month blocks and all kinds of oh, things. So. And if you went back 10 years, it would be completely different. So it changes the whole time. It changes. Okay. It changes because the needs of the public healthcare system will dictate. Mm. So remember that medical school is designed to graduate a good generalist. Mm. If you want to be a neurosurgeon, that's great, but you're still going to have to go through a road where you will know all of medicine and then refine your knowledge to, you know, we talk about a a mile wide and an inch deep, and then you become an inch wide and a mile deep. deep. When you graduate medical school, you know a lot about a lot of things. Mm. An internship is there to enhance, Mm -hmm. um, to distill that knowledge and really turn it into practical knowledge as well. But you are training as a generalist. Mm. So it's good for you to be exposed to as much as possible within those rotations. Mm. Okay. After that, then you can choose a trajectory. So when you do your community service, Mm. even then, you can say, I want to be a community service doctor in only pediatrics. And you apply and you say, I just want to do. Some of the sites might say, oh, we need you to cover three or four. Mm. Some sites might say, if you want to do just one the whole year. That's, That's cool. to, you know, okay. we have a comserve doctor who's just doing surgery That's, wow. and, and other people were like, Ooh, surgery, yeah. you know, and they were able to choose other things. That's um, cool. so the ones that I've done, <laughs> yeah. the ones that I've done, and I can't speak, I can't speak to second year, mm. um, yeah. other than as an outsider, yes, and I yes, definitely yes. can't touch comserve, which is why I interviewed my friend, um, Naeem, because he was an intern, yes. first year intern, when I was just starting clinical. Okay, and then you guys you know, so, just... So now he's, in, he's finishing community service and I'm finishing first year internship. And we look back and go, wow, look how far each one of us mm. has come. I can now, as a first year intern, I can appreciate what he was saying when yes. he was talking about how internal medicine is like. You know, So I started with pediatrics. I think I had a great start to my internship experience by starting in pediatrics. Mm. Where I work at Joburg Gen, at Charlotte McLeke, we have got great consultants in pediatrics who are, are fun, who are bubbly. Um, it's mainly a female-led department, mm-hmm. um, which, go, which means to say that they're very caring, very kind, um, and listen, they're incredibly intelligent doctors. Mm-hmm. Don't, like, don't think that kindness equals mm. less in- knowledge. Mm-hmm. They are massive brains and they will teach you stuff that will humble you. You'll be like, wow, I know nothing. <laughs> um, but it was a great working environment. Um, it was really cool to be around the kiddies. Uh, the best thing about pediatrics is, is actually the patients. Okay. You know, when kids do well, when yes. kids are better, yes. man, they are amazing. And to see them go from very sick to see. doing well is very see. rewarding. Neonates is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, the very first call that I did on the 1st of January, my very first patient was a 600 grammar, I think. Hmm. 
And the sister asked me if I wanted to put in a UVL. I didn't even know what a UVL was. It stands for umbilical vein line. Well, now I know as well. (laughs) It's literally putting your drip into the umbilical vein. Oh, my. So that you don't have to drip the baby. Oh, okay. That must have been a fun first day. I didn't get to do it. The registrar did it. But there was that immediate sinking feeling of, I am woefully inadequate. Oh my. You know, on your very yes. first day as a doctor, you're like, oh gosh, okay. what have I got myself into? Um, so pediatrics was great. Yeah. Um, the calls were hard, but manageable. Okay. I don't know if the calls were hard because it was my first rotation doing calls. Mm. I think there is, in, it doesn't matter what rotation you do, there is a bit of a jump. Okay. You know, the same as the jump from high school to medical school. Yes. And then the jump from when you're doing, doing just theory to suddenly doing clinical well. stuff. Okay. The jump from medical students to medical doctor is <laughs> a pretty nifty one. Um, then I went into obstetrics and gynae. And I knew before going into obstetrics and gynae from my time as a student that it was a rotation that I was probably going to want to just persevere through. Like I was going to do my three months to get Mm. to the other side. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The two rotations, actually, funny enough, the two rotations that I knew I didn't want to specialize in in the future is pediatrics Mm -hmm. and obstetrics and gynae. So I'm glad I got this out the way first. first. Yeah. um, Because I still had energy and I was still this fresh-faced young intern just like... Yeah, I'm Going so happy it. to be here. <laughs> I'm so happy to be getting a salary. <laughs> um, yeah, it does, it does make a difference when you're getting paid to be on duty. Okay. Uh, so when I started internal medicine, um, I was ecstatic because I had done six months of being a doctor without ever treating a, a male adult patient. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it was just it was kids, moms, you know? neonates, and then yeah. So the first day of uh, renal, because I was in the renal ward, yeah. um, I walked in, and it was all men, 40, 40 and above, you know, the uncles. <laughs> we walk in and we're like, "Hey, uncle, hey man," <laughs> and we would just talk nonsense, and it was it was great. Yeah. And I thought, gosh, internal medicine medicine really holds promise. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought maybe I would be a physician. Okay. A physician, being a physician has its own like really cool. They they still do procedures, mm. lots of quintin lines and CVPs and lumbar okay. punctures and all sorts of things. You know bronchoscopies. So they still have it's some procedures. Hands on stuff. As yeah. Well. yeah. Um, when I got to oncology, mm. that really made me realize. Gosh, um, you know, a lot of those patients were arriving very sick and they were mm. terminal. Like they would get admitted for management of some problem, and you just mm. know they're not going home. It so was it more just palliative though. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was a palliative care team there, um, quite limited in terms of what you can do in terms of palliation in the hospital setting. Um, by definition, I think palliation begins far beyond the hospital. Okay. It's, it begins at the time of diagnosis. Okay. You know, uh, something like cancer can potentially be a very long mm. disease trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, any diagnosis, mm. you know, palliation doesn't just mean like putting out to pasture and they're yes. going to die. <laughs> it means, um, how is the patient reconciling the diagnosis with their family, with their activities of daily okay. living and their responsibilities? Imagine if you're a father um, who's providing for his family who now gets a work injury and he can't use his hand. Mm. You know, 95% of that man is fine, mm. but he's lost a very important part of his identity and his provision for his family. So palliative care is more than just like end of life. It's... Okay. Yeah, how does he accommodate that? 
Um, I'm not going to lie though. Internal medicine was a very, very difficult rotation. The hours were very long, mm-hmm. um, sometimes too long. Mm-hmm. And uh, you would leave and have sense of humor failure. Okay. And you just step into the shower and you realize 15 minutes later, I'm still standing in the shower. Oh, <laughs> <So great. laughs> Trying to wash off the internal <laughs> medicine. Um, no, internal medicine months. was great. Uh, I, I would ra- rate it above... Um, Above Obzingani, but probably not above pediatrics. Okay. Okay. Now I'm going to tell you about my passion. Nice. <laughs> when, I, when I stepped into the surgical unit, yes. first day of surgery, within a few minutes I knew these are my people. <laughs> <laughs> I had found my tribe. And nice. I think that internal medicine is very much about an art of medicine. It's examining the patient holistically. Okay. Uh, you have to include a lot of things in your differential. Um, patients present with more than one problem. Patients are often very complicated. So if you think about your renal patients, for example, they often have renal disease secondary to hypertension, and the hypertension causes now cardiac problems. Mm. So how do you manage their renal problem and take into account their cardiac problem? Because sometimes the two are held in tension, uh, more, more often than not. However, with surgery, I'd say it's less about the art, although there is definitely art and skill involved. I mean, it's it's surgery, Mm. right? There's skill involved. But it's also about the discipline Mm. of medicine. So patients will come in often with an acute problem that you can do something about. And you must work hard and work fast to correct that problem so that it doesn't get worse, so it doesn't get exacerbated by other things or make other things worse. Um, And, uh, yeah, I like the fact that you can actually do something about it. You know, Mm. with internal medicine... We would uh, correct something in the patients, optimize them, mm-hmm. and then they fit for discharge. They go home. But now the patient has got the responsibility for the next three months to be taking that pill. And many times you can get maintaining, you know, maintenance of function and to slow down the decline, but you don't often get like a full reversal. Mm. You know, you don't go from heart failure to, hey, my heart failure is gone. <laughs> Um, you, you, you slow down heart failure and you use anti-remodeling therapy with surgery. Mm. Um, and there are some things in surgery where you, you know, there's a stepwise progression down. Yeah. But there are many things in surgery where you go like, Hey, you have this problem. I have the solution. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So surgery is great. Um, I'm two months into it. And from what I have experienced, I think that in future, I would like to do a surgical discipline. I don't know yet what grabs okay. me, but it's it's interesting that I, I had a preconceived idea of what yes. surgery was based on my experience as a student. Okay. And some of some of it was correct. Yes. Some of it was, was just completely wrong. wrong. Okay. Um and, and even now as an intern, you know, I'm only seeing a certain side of things. I'm getting some theater time, but very limited theater time. Okay. And the theater time I'm getting, you know, I'm holding a retractor, I'm exposing something nicely, you know. Um, but I'm not the lead surgeon. Okay. So uh, let's see what the future holds. Okay, cool. How does an intern then become the lead surgeon? Like, for example, like, you know, does that, is that based solely on where you're interning? Like with regards to whether it's more rural or, you know, think, a little bit more. I tertiary? think more than where you're interning, I think it's what you're doing. Okay. Um, okay. So for example, in our, our units, 
um, they were very upfront in the beginning and said, what is it that you want out of this block? Okay. Some of my colleagues said, listen, I've heard things about surgery. Mm. Um, I just want to survive. Okay. And, and they said, look, I want to be a pediatrician. I want to be this or that. And that's okay. Mm. At least they were honest. Yes. You know, they weren't trying to charm the, yes. the, the coordinators. Excuse me. As I said, in the first couple of days, I knew this is my tribe. So I said to them, guys, I'm loving surgery. That's cool. I would love to get a little bit more theater time mm -hmm. so that I can work more closely to what a surgeon does. Yes. Because as an intern, you are the junior doctor. Yeah. You are doing scat work. Mm -hmm. You know, you're doing paperwork, you're booking scans, you're yeah. following up on results. Um, but when you're in theater, that's when you really get to see. Because when you're on call as an intern in surgery, 80% of the time, your registrar is in theater while you are looking after the ward. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so the more time you spend in theater, the better. The better. Now, you asked how do you go to, to, you know, towards mm. being the lead surgeon. I think there's a process of trust. Okay. If you have got some surgical skills, mm. I currently don't really have many. Um, you know, I, I hold a retractor on. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, then it's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. It comes back to what we were saying earlier about number one, having the courage to try. Hmm. And number two, also admitting your weaknesses, admitting okay. where the end of your ability is. Yes. You know, so if somebody said to me, can you do a thyroidectomy? I've seen a thyroidectomy. I've assisted in a thyroidectomy. Have I done a thyroidectomy? Nope. No. All right. you know? So that's so the next I'm not going to go and say, oh, absolutely. I've each one, C one, D one, T one. <laughs> not a chance. <laughs> You know, okay. that, that mantra doesn't apply for everything. Okay. Fine with drips, fine with taking ephemeral blood gas, fine with putting in an NGT. Doing a thyroidectomy is a little bit different. Orders of magnitude bigger mm. in complexity, in responsibility, in terms of what can go wrong. Mm. Um, and, you know, if I, say, if I say to a second year medical student, you know, what do you think the complications of a thyroidectomy are? you might be able to rattle off one or two, okay? Mm. A good good student with no one or two. Yeah. Um, but a surgeon will be able to say, well, I will group it into this and this and this, and I'll have this approach, and then within this, I'll have eight possible oh, complications. Wow. I would negate them with such and such prophylaxis. And so, okay. so, you know, there's orders of magnitude of knowledge. So even when you're an intern and you think you're hot stuff because you have an approach to bowel obstruction, <laughs> the consultants will know the nuances and the subtleties okay. and the site-specific management. Mm. I hope I'm not talking too much, but no, I, I want to drive home the point that there's never an end to knowledge. Yes. The day that you think you know it is the day that you stop learning and stop growing. And that's a problem, especially within medicine. That's going to be yeah. a massive issue. The The knowledge is gr just growing so fast. You know? mm. they, they say that the amount of time it took to double uh, the knowledge in medicine from 1900 was 50 years. So mm. from 1900 to 1950, it doubled. Okay, mm. I might be getting the years wrong, but, yeah. but, but the principle remains. Yes. From 1950 to 1980, which is 30 years, it doubled. Mm. From 1980 to 2000, which is 20 years, it doubled. doubled. Now, obviously, around 2000, the internet just really exploded. Mm. So from 2000 to 2005, it doubled. Mm. We're now living in a world where the amount of knowledge and guidelines and research that's generated for medicine alone yeah. 
means that it's doubling every year or so. Jeez. Okay, so okay. you can find data on all sorts of things. You know, when we had to do our evidence-based medicine mm. um, uh, projects for final year, you put your first search terms in, and you get like fourteen thousand results. You're like, okay, oh, I my. need to, I need to pass these terms a bit <laughs> and uh, get a little bit more directed. Yeah. You know, no, it is, it is something that uh, I guess you need to on your own though keep up. And I think that, I'm assuming that's more a personal thing because you get doctors that would just be like, hey, okay, cool gone through this i'm assuming i'm i've i'm very far from it and i don't know if that becomes a personal thing i don't know if that becomes something in my like experience you. i've only seen doctors that are very very good and okay. work hard that's cool you know we all have our bad days mm. I've, i have the privilege of working in an academic hospital i don't think there's anyone who's there who's like i want to do the bare minimum yeah <laughs> you know we all we all read we yeah. all learn um Sometimes you don't know how you know something, but you just do. So, so every single person, you know, remember, you've got to understand the same degree that you're going to have in a few short years. Mm. Um, that's degree. Other people have passed that degree as well, you know. So the same way as you, like, oh, I've got a medical degree. <laughs> I work with people who got far better marks than me. Mm. Um, and I have to be... Um, respectful of that yeah. and say, no, oh, you, you know your work better than me. You know, yeah. and, and you've got to trust that your colleagues know their stuff. Yes. They have passed the same exams that you had to pass to become a registered healthcare practitioner yes. with the uh, Healthcare Professions <laughs> Council. So, okay, yeah, so. yeah. Okay. And with that, I'm going to say thank you so much for the opportunity to just discuss all of this with you um, and just to share your knowledge on all of this as well. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to, before we go off, uh, I want you, Simon, just to let people know where they can find you and sure. uh, you know just learn a little bit more about you and also about the podcast and cool. everything. Thanks, Danu, and, and thank you so much for the opportunity to spout and, and talk too much. <laughs> um, it was really, really enjoyable. Um, I think that's... Uh, I, I've learned a lot about myself through preparing to answer these questions and just examining my questions as I answer, <laughs> or my, my answers as I answer. So the Dr. Coffee podcast is available on major podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. We're also on YouTube. We post limited episodes there. It all depends on whether or not I'm able to record a consultant. <laughs> um, and uh, what I've started doing, again, for my own benefit as well, is some little 10 minute tats. So it's revision on topics within medicine. Mm -hmm. We've just spoken about how huge medicine is. Mm -hmm. So the reality is it's going to take me decades <laughs> to cover everything. Um, but I hope that by putting it together, um, I benefit not only myself, but maybe somebody going through those rotations as a, as a medical student and a junior doctor. My heart is for us as junior doctors to do better. So for us to know better, for us to serve the people of South Africa better, and for us to, because we're so good and so proficient, be better human beings because we don't leave work exhausted. Mm. We don't leave work with the burden of having made a mistake, mm. but rather the joy of a senior saying, you're my intern. Guys, <laughs> I have the best intern. He knew mm. all of the guidelines. He knew all of the approaches. He knew all of the things that mattered. Mm. Um and maybe a final thought, if I can be so bold, is if you are a medical student, at whatever level you're in, please, please, please 
Take that as a very serious opportunity. Don't waste your time. Guys, the years go so fast. If you have the opportunity to study now, study, read, and read it for your enjoyment. Because there's no time as an intern. You think as an intern, oh man, I'm going to be at the hospital for 30 hours. Maybe I can get four hours of studying done. Not a chance. (laughs) It's so hard to find time to read up on topics. And you're going to kick yourself later on when you say, I know that I learned this in fourth year. I just can't remember any of it. (laughs) Yeah. But thank you very much for having me on the podcast. You've been an incredible guest. Thank you so much. This brings us to the end of our conversation with Dr. Simon Fraser. Thank you for listening. All the links and resources will be linked down in the show notes. If you are listening to this on a podcast platform, please leave a review and rating. And if you'd like to keep up to date with any podcast news, be sure to follow us on Instagram at medically underscore inclined underscore podcast. I'd also love to hear your feedback. So if you have any comments about the episodes, you can email me at medicallyinclinedpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, and share to those that you feel would benefit from this episode. Can't wait to see you for the next one. Mm-hmm.